This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 to find an office near you. Blair, let's talk about first, just so that we all know what Sands & Associates is. Well, Elaine, Sands and Associates is essentially, we're the people you should call when you need a plan to deal with your debts. So if you're sitting there, you're getting collection calls, you've got more debts than you're able to afford to make the payments on, you just don't know what to do. Sands and Associates has been around for more than 26 years, and we sit down with people day in and day out, and we help them figure out how they can get back to zero, how they can get back to owing nobody anything, and usually they're incredibly surprised and very heartened about the options that are available to them. But that's a big step, isn't it? Making that call. Mm Because I would think that with that comes a lot of fear and possibly fear of judgment and all those kinds of things. So is it a difficult call for most people? Well, I think the call is the easy part, but it's getting the courage up to actually make the call. And and you're you're completely right there. You know, we have people who it's probably two years is the average time where they know they've got a problem. They know they need some help, but they're scared, right? And, And just as you said, they're worried about being judged. They're worried about, you know, having to publicly admit, you know, what many people see as as a failure, many times it's completely outside of their control. You know, maybe someone got sick or they got divorced Mm -hmm. or they lost their job. You know, it's these things that can happen in your life that throw a shock to the system. Um, But the shame, the fear, and the uncertainty, that can really stop people from reaching out for help. And that's why I'm so pleased that we're going to be doing a lot of content on these shows, really taking some of the mystery away from debt and what you can do to deal with it. Now, could you walk me through that process? So let's say I'm calling you and saying, Blair, this is my situation. How and and let, we don't even have to talk about the parameters. So, mm-hmm. how are you going to be able to help me? What are the kinds of things that you can ask me, or what are the questions you would ask me mm-hmm. at that point? Yeah, you know, the first thing is usually just just getting the person to take a deep breath. Um, you know, to to realize that they they've done a really good thing by reaching out for help. Um, because right away we can start to give some facts. Because the biggest thing is that people are in a debt situation. They're getting information from all over, and oftentimes they're getting information from whether it's well-meaning friends and family. It might not be correct or from a collection agent who their vested interest is in getting you to make a payment whether you can afford it or not, and they're not going to give you all the information. Because they're not going to care, right? I mean, all they want is their money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their objectives are different than yours. Totally. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, as much as they may seem you know, nice or, or not nice, their objective is to, is to get you to pay. Right. Our objective at Sands & Associates when you reach out to us, our objective is to make you an informed consumer aware of all the legal options that are available to you and to help you implement if you need to implement a legal option to restructure your debts. We'll be with you every step of the way. And in terms of a process, it costs nothing to meet with us. So the first call is free. The first meeting is free. The second, the third meeting, whatever you need until the point where the government says, okay, if you're going to go forward and restructure your debts, what you pay is set by government tariff. That's when you start making payments. But you're going to be able to work out an entire plan, have some great conversations with some empathetic people who don't judge. 
um, that's what we offer at Sands and Associates. And I think one of the key pieces that you mentioned, being a licensed solvency trustee, that puts you in that whole legal area that not everybody does that's going to give mm-hmm. you some debt counseling, for it, example. Exactly. And that's a word I'd be amazed if many of your listeners have heard before, licensed sure. insolvency trustee. Right. Um, and you know, let, let's break that apart a little bit because it's really, it's only since April of this year has that term existed. So before then, um, there were a thousand people in Canada who were empowered called trustees in bank. Bankruptcy. Okay. As of April 1st, that name has been changed to licensed insolvency trustee. And the main reason for that is that trustee in bankruptcy was far too limiting. One part of what we do, and it's about a third of my business, is helping people with bankruptcy, but about two thirds of it is helping people avoid bankruptcy, helping them figure out can they do a repayment plan? Can they adjust their budget? Are there some other assets they might be able to deal with to try to pay for their debts? So it's much broader than it ever was before, but it's absolutely imperative that you deal with a licensed insolvency trustee because we're the only people that can actually use Canadian law. Anybody else you're dealing with, you're going to be paying a fee, but not getting any service that you actually need at the end of the day. I think that's a really important difference too, is that just because it appears that bankruptcy is the next step for Mm -hmm. you, that may in fact may not be the case. Oh, the vast majority of people, and that's why they wait so long to call us, is they think the only answer is bankruptcy. And as soon as we can explain to them, you know, bankruptcy is an option, here's what it entails, but there's a bunch of other options that perhaps you've never heard of or never thought about, one of which is a consumer proposal, which we're going to go into a lot of detail over a series of shows. But a consumer proposal, people generally have no idea that this can stop all of your interest, it can give you a payment plan you can afford, and you don't need to go bankrupt. But the only person that can help you with it is a licensed insolvency trustee. Okay, let's talk about qualifications. What kind Mm -hmm. of qualifications do you guys bring to the table for me? That's the great part when you sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee is you're seeing the most qualified person you, you could ever see. So every licensed insolvency trustee in Canada is governed by Industry Canada. So there's only a thousand in Canada that receive a license. Um, most, vast majority, have either a university degree or an accounting designation or another professional designation. Many have all three of those as well. Um, so it's not something that, you know, you can be out of high school in the space of a year, become a trustee. It's generally, it's a long, rigorous process. And you actually have to sit down with an oral exam in front of the superintendent of bankruptcy to make sure you know your stuff and you'll be able to handle, um, you know, various situations appropriately. Um, every trustee in Canada is heavily regulated. So it's another great point is if you're dealing with a trustee, if things don't go the way you anticipate, you've got recourse. So heavily regulated, heavily licensed. It's such a hard license to get that every trustee in Canada is going to do things by the book to protect that license. Now, just knowing a little bit about Sands and Associates, uh, with 15 locations in British Columbia, including on Vancouver Island, you obviously have uh, the wherewithal and the background and the foundation to handle all kinds of situations for people. Absolutely. So we're, we're the largest in the province of BC for what we do, and we're very specialized. So, you know, there are a lot of different firms, some big accounting firms that will also do a piece of their business as consumer proposals and bankruptcies and things like that. That's all that we do at Sands & Associates. So we're very focused. We file more consumer proposals than anybody and get more accepted than anybody, and we file more personal bankruptcies and successfully implement those than any other firm in BC. And then we go back to the uh, fully licensed solvency trustee Mm -hmm. uh, umbrella. So 
everything is being done properly and with a with a backup. And I love what you said about if there's an issue, you have recourse. If you're not happy, you have recourse because mm-hmm. of the licensing, the way it's all set up. Yeah, that's exactly right, Elaine. And it's definitely in the last number of years, and especially now also, if you go and Google online debt help or debt advice, you'll see 100 people out there who claim they can help you with your debts. Very few of them, if they're not a trustee, will actually be able to do anything for you other than give you a little bit of advice, maybe make a couple of calls, but only a trustee can actually force your your creditors to make a deal with you. So, and that's another really significant piece, uh, the fact that you can make some sort of a deal or come to an agreement with your creditors uh, so you can avoid that bankruptcy or, if that's the last resort, can, can guide you through that process. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, definitely the more that we talk, Elaine, we'll go into explaining how bankruptcy is not the end of the world. It's not the end of your life. In many ways, it's a rebirth and it's something that, you know, many people emerge from far stronger than before. Um, But it's the whole idea of just the uncertainty, the doubt and the fear. Um, Let's take that away as part part of these shows here. Let's explain how bankruptcy works. Let's explain how a consumer proposal works and what the situations are where they make sense for an individual to pursue. Now, can we talk about the proposal? Mm Because you've mentioned it so many times. And when I first started reading about it and hearing you uh, talk about it, it fascinated me mm-hmm. in knowing that there was something like that out there for folks uh, who are in need of some assistance. Yeah, I'd say, Elaine, it's the most powerful but least known means of dealing with a debt situation. So in very simple terms, what happens in a proposal is all of your debt is consolidated together. It doesn't matter if it's government debt, non-government debt, credit cards, whatever it is, it's and, put together. And a combination of those things, oh, it, right? Almost always it's a combination. Okay. Yep. So all the debt is, is put together. And then we take an analysis, we sit down with you and we say, okay, well, what's the monthly budget? What can you reasonably afford to pay back on these debts? And, you know, usually it's nowhere close to the minimum payments that are being asked of you. And we also know if you only make the minimum payments and you have any sort of debt, you know, more than five or $6,000, it's going to take you 20, 30, 100 years to pay it off. So we look at what reasonably can be paid off in the budget each month. And then by law, a consumer proposal consists of a monthly payment with no interest, no additional fees over a term of less than five years. See, and that's incredible, the fact that you're able to get rid of that interest payment, because that is mm-hmm. the, I mean, right? Yep. We all know what uh, credit card debt can look like, and mm-hmm. that's the thing that can put you under immediately. Oh, right. And, and that's great. And that, that's one part of it, Elaine, but it actually yeah. gets better if you can believe it. So not only are you not paying the interest of, you know, the 20 or 25% or whatever it might be on your credit cards, right. but as part of a proposal in just about every case, you're not paying back the full amount of the debt you're paying back usually in the range of 30 to 50% of the debt. If that's what you can afford, the way a proposal works is it's a legally binding contract that your creditors agree to accept in the range of a third to half of the debt in full satisfaction of your payments. Now, I just sort of a, a bit of a, a question here. Does a creditor have to accept a proposal when they're when they're given one for someone? And that's a great question. The answer is no. Nobody's forced to accept a consumer proposal, but a, a couple of points. So first off, when we do a consumer proposal, we show to the creditor side by side, if you reject this proposal, the person is likely to file a bankruptcy and guess what? In a 
bankruptcy, you're going to do far worse, creditor. Right. So in many bankruptcies, nothing is paid back or five or 10 cents on the dollar is paid back. So offering the creditor somewhere in the range of 30 to 50 cents on the dollar, 95% of the time, they accept the proposal right off the bat. The adage, something is better than nothing. That's exactly right. You know, can't get blood from a stone, all those, those, those euphemisms. Right. Here is what the person can afford. It may not be what you want, creditor, but at least it's reasonable and it's better than a bankruptcy, which is the person's legal right. They could file a bankruptcy at any point and the creditor would be forced to accept whatever minimal recovery that would be. And what about the, the because not everything is very, is clearly written out, or not written out, but it, clearly, you know, it's this company, it's this company, it, it's mm-hmm. this company. Some of these things are incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. In terms of figuring out who you owe, who you owe, yeah. and how much is in, uh, how much is being demanded, mm-hmm. and and then the complications. I mean, if it's if it's not just a, a straight company that you're owing, but um, I don't know if uh, I'm trying to think of the the right word for it. But the complicated the complication mm-hmm. side of it is something that you guys can take on as well. Oh, I- exactly. So from the individual's point of view, it can get very complicated, and definitely a lot of folks when they come through my door, they've just stopped opening the mail. You know, they've stopped answering the phone. They've stopped getting updated information because they know it's so bad. You know, what's a little bit more bad on it? It's already, you know, they just feel terrible about it. Um, The nice thing when you're dealing with either a consumer proposal or doing a bankruptcy, we handle all of that. So you have to have an idea of who you owe, but it's easy to find out. You know, you pull a credit report or, you know, bring in the stack of mail, we'll open it together. Um, But as soon as you have that idea, the trustee, it's all done through legal means and creditors, they have to accept our notice. So if we send out a proposal and they just not to put it on the right person's desk. Well, guess what? That proposal expires in terms of their voting rights at the end of 45 days. If they haven't voted, the proposal is accepted. It's automatically approved. We have lots and lots and lots to learn here on Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. For information on any of the services that we've talked about on the show, sands-trustee.com is the number, or for a free consultation, 1-800-661-3030 to find an office near you. Thanks, Blair. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. How and when to use the province's, British Columbia's, statute of limitations on debt. That's what this segment is all about. So, first of all, Blair, you've got to explain it to me because I don't have a clue. Well, I have a little bit of a clue. Mm -hmm. What is the statute of limitations on debt? Yeah, so this is, is something when I sit down with folks and I explain to them about this concept, they just have no idea that, the, you know, why isn't this more well-known? Why don't I already know about this? So the idea of it, you know, a statute of limitations, I think most people have a general sense that if something happens, you know, if you want to take some action against it, you know, if someone caused you an injury, for example, you can't wait forever to decide that you're going to, you know, cause that person to, to be charged or something like that. You have to take action within a specific time, okay? okay? Now, the same thing applies for debt. So what it means in a debt situation, is if you owe somebody money, they can try to collect from you for you know a long time, but they can really only have a legal avenue against you for a very short period of time, shorter than people think, 
and that's two years. Okay. That's the statute of limitations in BC. And I think two years is the same uh, uh, period of time if you're wanting to charge somebody or or take uh, legal action as well. Two years from the date of whatever it is, if it's an accident or whatever. Yeah, so you'd, want, you'd want to get your own legal advice for that stuff, but yeah. definitely from a debt point of view, and the Limitations Act is very broad, so it does cover many things, but cool. from a limitation for a debt, yeah, it's two years, um, and it's important to know when that clock starts ticking because there are things you can do, you know, maybe not even knowing it, that reset at that clock and actually aren't in your best interest. Okay, let's talk about those. When does that debt start ticking, or when does the clock start ticking on that? Yeah, so there's a couple a couple triggers. So, you know, one is when was the debt incurred? Um, when was the last payment made against the debt? So, you know, if you borrowed the money once and never made any payments, okay, well, that's your day. You know, that that's the date that we're going to start ticking from. If you borrowed the money a long time ago and you just continued making payments on it for a period of time, it's when was your last payment made? That's okay. when your clock would start ticking. So if I've had this, pay, if I've been making this payment for 18 months and then I stop, yep. then it's at that point. It's not from when I first got it. Exactly. It's at that point. Okay, good yeah. to know. So what's really important there now, the third way too, is you could also... Uh, give a written acknowledgement. You could sign something, say, yes, I agree that I owe this debt, and then that would reset your statute of limitations clock as well. Okay. But that's, that's pretty uncommon. Most of the time, what happens is people think they're doing the right thing, um, and they think they're working with a collection agent that's actually very nice and very reasonable, and you know, they're a bit good cop, bad cop sometimes, but often the collection agent will say, you know what, I know you can't pay very much, just make a good faith payment this month this month. You know what? Send us in $10, $20, $50 or something like that. And the individual thinks, wow, this person's really working with me. They understand I can't pay very much. They can't reduce the debt, but at least they're not going to make me pay a whole lot. Oftentimes what's happened is the collection agent has realized this person's at, you know, 23 months of no payments. If they go another month and they don't pay, the statute of limitations kicks in and they can never collect the full amount. So sometimes making those small payments, all you're doing is making sure that you're never going to be free of that two-year statute of limitations. Because let's say you went you went that 23 months, then you paid it, and yep. then it starts again, starts right? starts all over again. Whereas if I just left it, I'd yeah. be more free and clear, exactly. or at least in a different place than when I started. Mm-hmm. So are there exceptions to that two-year rule? Um, you know, there are some claims that just, you know, aren't subject to statute of limitations at all. Um, you know, if there's a civil claim, if someone goes to court and enforces a judgment against you, that's not subject to the two-year rule. There's a much longer timeline for that. Okay. Um, you know, debts owing to the government, like CRA and student loans, you know, very clearly there's no statute of limitations for government debt. Um, you know, if you owe the government money, you either need to pay it, you need to deal with it through a bankruptcy or a proposal, um, or essentially that money's not going to go away. Okay, cool. So, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, you know, other debts, you know, things that would be common sense-wise, you know, arrears of child support and spousal support. Not that anyone would want to do this, but you can't wait it out for two years and then expect that your liability would be extinguished. It's not. So we sort of talked about when the two-year period, the two-year period starts and stops. Can you give us sort of an example of when waiting until the debts are statute barred and how that solves a person's financial problems? Yeah, so it, it all depends on the individual's circumstances. But, you know, I deal with a lot of senior citizens um, in, in my office. And, you know, sometimes as I sit down and we, and we look through all the debts, there'll be a number of debts where they, you know, they haven't paid on them for, you know, five years, six years or something, but they're still very worried about it. Okay. They're still very worried that, you know, a bailiff's going to show up tomorrow at my, at my door and start seizing my assets. Or they're worried they're going to get, you know, dragged in, into court. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to be, um, you know, publicly shamed or, or things like that. So, um, you know, essentially 
if the two-year limitation has already expired, they don't need to have those worries. Okay, cool. Uh, what about uh, when the statute could apply, but a person wants to take action anyways? How does that work? Yeah, so it's definitely, it's no fun owing somebody money. And very clearly, the statute of limitations, just because that's over, that doesn't mean that you don't owe the money anymore. Okay. What it means is that you can never be forced to pay. So if two years has elapsed and a collection agent is hounding you and threatening you that they're going to take legal action against you, you know, you can rest relatively easily knowing that they're not going to be able to take any legal action against you, but they're still going to harass you. They're still going to have negative notations on your credit. So sometimes there's a lot to be gained by actually saying, even though legally I could never be forced to pay these debts, I know in good faith I borrowed this money and in good faith I want to take some action to deal with that. Okay, so you could help me do that or help someone do that. Exactly. So, you know, quite often we'll explain to somebody, you know, these debts are probably statute barred. You know, to the best of our knowledge, it looks like they're never going to sue you. You're probably never going to have to go to court and they can't force you to pay. Um, But perhaps for your peace of mind, for you sleeping better at night, uh, you want to go through either a bankruptcy or a proposal proceeding just to know that you face things head on. At least the harassment is going to stop. See, it just makes so much sense to me that talking to somebody like you is going to put a whole bunch of things not only down on paper, but maybe help me sleep better mm-hmm. because because I'm a kind of person that I would want to pay back my debts. You yeah. know, like if I borrowed money, I'm going to pay it back eventually. Mm-hmm. But I want to do it in an easier or in an easy way, right? So that doesn't cause stress on me or my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can help me figure that out. Yeah. And, you know, part of it too is looking at the person's budget and figuring out reasonably what can they afford to pay back on their debts. Okay, because sometimes and especially, again, the senior citizen demographic, there's such an imbalance between what's being paid on debts, paid on interest every month and what's being paid to live. You know, right. what are the necessities of life that are, you know, suffering and the grocery bill is, is not getting getting paid or they're barely eating because all the money is, go, is going to interest. So when I sit down with somebody, I like to look at, well, what can you afford to pay back on debt? You know, which of these debts might be statute barred versus not? And are you going to be better off continuing to do what you're doing? Or are you going to be better off if we look at either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal? And I guess the, the sense of relief that some folks feel is pretty significant. Yeah, huge, hugely so. Um, you know, we get, you know, bouquets of flower and car- <laughs> flowers and cards and, and different things with just, you know, the nicest words you, you can imagine that people feel, you know, it's, it's life-changing when they can wake up and, you know, either armed with the knowledge that, you know, this person that's calling and threatening to sue me, they don't have a leg to stand on, so I'm just not going to worry about it. Or these persons that are calling me, they're going to have to stop because now I'm dealing with Sands and Associates and they're going to get in the middle. They're going to stop all the calls and they're going to help me work out something that's reasonable to pay on these debts. If I can do it, you're going to Mm -hmm. help me figure that out. If any of this information resonates with you, it's such good information because we're not alone. And I think that's one of the key things to remember, too, that folks thinking, oh, my God, nobody else is experiencing this. That's Mm -hmm. just not the case. No, that's absolutely a a fact of life. Um, You know, it's interesting, too. I often sit down with families that come in at at once and, you know, I'll do the consultation for the individual that we're talking about. And then, you know, mom or dad might be at at the table too. And I'll say, well, you know, why don't you talk to me a little bit about my situation? Um, And then as soon as people understand, you know, there, there is the opportunity to get help, you know, they don't have to carry this burden by themselves. Um, You know, a lot of openness within, within the family can sometimes happen at, at those meetings. And we can say, you know, 
you know, we've been hiding things for a while. Let's get it out into the open and let's deal with the family's debt issue. Because there's so much, there's so many things out there that will protect us or at least look after us a little bit better than maybe that we know about right now too, right? Yeah. Whether it be the statute of limitations or just even the idea of putting together a consumer proposal or, or even if a bankruptcy makes sense or just even coming up with some sort of plan to make these payments or to pay off this debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ex- exactly. Very cool. So again, if any if this information resonates with you, uh, B- uh, Blair Manton from Zans & Associates, he's the guy to co- talk to. You can get that financial fresh start, start feeling a little bit better, a little less stress. It's very easy to do. You can do it a couple of ways. You can check out the website, sans-trustee.com, or you can give them a call. It's an easy telephone number to remember, 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Uh, here's the 1-800 number. It's 1-800-661-3030 and get that first free consultation. Um, so much of, of, of either bankruptcy or consumer proposal, first of all, if those terms are new to you, especially consumer proposal, this is a great segment for you because we're going to talk about the actual process that's mm-hmm. involved in both sides um, and sort of demystify, I think, we're, we're going to end up doing that as well on the process, whether mm-hmm. it's from the documents that one has to sign and the impact of those documents. Am I am I right about oh, of that? Of course, yeah. Okay, good. All right. So the first, so the first uh, process we'll talk about is bankruptcy. Yeah. Is so that what you said? Yeah. So what good. I wanted to do today is kind of get down the, the nitty gritty. So what actually happens if someone goes into bankruptcy? You know, whether it's you going bankrupt, what if your information gets shared? You know, what do you have to provide to the trustee? What do your creditors figure out about? And on the other side, if you're owed money and you suddenly get these documents from a trustee, you know, what are you going to receive? What do you do with them? What do they mean? Okay. Um, so I thought we'll go through just some general um, documents for a bankruptcy and for a proposal today. And Excellent. it'll be interesting. Okay, so, let's start. Yeah, I think one thing to take away here is that there's been a lot of things that have streamlined processes for bankruptcies and proposals over the years. So, you know, it's quite often if someone goes into a bankruptcy, you'll receive one notification and that might be all you receive unless you actually respond and say, yeah, I've got a claim. I want to know more about it. So first off, if someone files for bankruptcy, we've met with them at least three times, usually more than that. And it's by the time we're meeting them for the last time, we're signing a bunch of documents that then get sent out to the creditors. Okay. So the first document is just sending notice. So it's a notice of bankruptcy and of impending automatic discharge of bankrupt and request for a first meeting of creditors. So that's a huge amalgamation of things. And it's basically saying, here's the notice of the bankruptcy. Here's the notice that the bankruptcy is going to finish in most cases within nine months. And by the way, if you want to participate, if you want to have creditors to get together to meet, here's your chance to make that happen. So everything happens right at once. And if you don't respond to this first notice, you may not get a second notice. So if you're an active creditor in a bankruptcy, you definitely want to respond to the first notice that you get. Good. Now, what's included in the notice, first off, is the most core document that we ever see here is called the Statement of Affairs. And when someone goes into bankruptcy, they have to disclose some pretty important things about their situation. So first part is they have to disclose their assets. 
So an asset is anything you own that has value. Right. And on the statement of affairs, the first page um, is basically just outlining all the categories of assets. Do you own them and what are they worth? The one that I've got in front of me here, it's like most of the statement of affairs that I see, there's almost no assets. Just about anybody that files for bankruptcy, they sold off most things that could be sold at that point. What they do have, in this case, the person had some clothing worth about $50 at a garage sale value, and that's considered an exempt asset. So even though they filed for bankruptcy, if you got an asset that's considered exempt, you don't have to get rid of it. Obviously, we don't seize anybody's clothing in this province. That would be bizarre and weird. Um, But also your vehicle, if it's valued under $5,000. Yes, yes. I know, I'm impressing you. (laughs) I remember this. Uh, But it's really important. Also, Mm -hmm. your furniture. And I think the most important phrase that you said there was garage sale value. That's That's kind of what you look at, isn't it? Exactly. So when we're talking about furniture, household furniture, everyone's asking, is the trustee going to come to my house? Or when is the trustee coming to my house to take my furniture? And the answer is never. I've never been to someone's house to cart things out. You value your furniture based on what you could sell for at a garage sale. If it's less than $4,000, which it typically is, you keep everything. It's considered an exempt asset under provincial legislation. Um, We talked about clothing. We've hit on RRSPs again and again. They're exempt assets. Don't go cashing RRSPs in. All that would be disclosed on your statement of affairs. Yeah. Uh, We talked about motor vehicles. And then finally, real estate is the other big category that gets disclosed um, from an asset point of view. And if it's your house that you're living in, Mm -hmm. what's that status for it? Yeah. Most people think it's automatically, if you go into bankruptcy, you lose your house. It's quite often the opposite. Most people are in a better position to keep their house after a bankruptcy because they can deal with all the other debt and still pay their mortgage. So what we have to determine is, do they have a whole lot of equity in the house? If they've got, you know, millions of dollars of equity, obviously there's going to be something happening here. But if it's the case, like most people are struggling with their debt, they've pulled out equity over the years. They owe basically marginally what the house is worth. There's not a huge amount of equity. Most of the time, the statement of affairs here would show house is worth, say, 800,000 in Vancouver. The mortgage is 770. So really, there's not much equity there. And the person would be allowed an exemption for at least the first $12,000 of equity. Okay. So that's that's the key is the equity that you've got in your home already. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So then statement of affairs, the first part of it is the assets. So what does the person own that has value? There are three parts. The second part is the liabilities. So why are we doing what we're doing? here, right? Why are we filing a bankruptcy or a proposal? Who does the person owe money to and how much? So what's important here is this is essentially the person's best guess. So it's not the case that if you file bankruptcy and you think you owe somebody $100 and ends up you owe them $300, you're on the hook for the difference of what you didn't include. It's not that case. As long as you make a reasonable effort to try to ascertain your liabilities, if they're a little bit off, it's still going to be all included into a bankruptcy. So a second page of a statement of affairs, you know, sometimes this thing can go for a couple pages at a time. If it's a person with their own corporation, a lot of suppliers, the documents I've got in front of me here, it's got four credit which are pretty typical here, Canada Revenue Agency for a student loan, Canada Revenue Agency for some personal taxes, ICBC, which we deal with quite a bit. And Mm. ICBC is another one of those government debts that only a trustee can help you deal with. Uh, And then this person owed Van City a little bit of money. So all told about $36,000 of debt in this bankruptcy, which is, again, pretty typical from what we see. And the ICBC debt, that is just not being able to pay your insurance or you've done it on a a, a quarterly basis or how does that... 
there's a number of different ways it can arise. You know, in some cases, in this specific case, I believe there was a motor vehicle accident and ICBC was forced to pay out some money and then they go back to the insurance holder uh, if there was any breach, sure. you know, to get the claim paid okay. out. Um, you know, if it's a very egregious breach, if there was drunk driving or, you know, intentional bodily harm or things like that, sometimes even going through bankruptcy won't help with ICBC debt, but that's a very small percentage. Almost in every case, ICBC debt can be dealt with. Okay. Again, good point about the licensed insolvency trustee. The, you're the only one that can do that with ICBC. That's right. And yeah. we've got a pretty good hotline into ICBC. So from the first time I meet with somebody, I get some information, I phone up ICBC and say, just so we're clear before we go too far, are we able to deal with this? Or are you going to take a different position? And oh, we get clarity right from the start. Excellent. Yeah. Sounds good. So the last part of the statement of affairs. So we talked about the assets, we talked about the liabilities, and then we just have to disclose some circumstances. So a lot of people, when they're restructuring their finances, they're worried that everything that they do to the world is, is open for everyone to inspect. And that's not really the case. What has to be disclosed is, you know, family name, given names, marital status, and date of birth, um, and then occupation. So there's not a huge amount more than that. It's, you know, not kids' names, kids' birth dates, social insurance numbers, all that stuff stays private here. You have to say how many people live in your household because that speaks to, you know, your budget and your ability to repay part of the debt or not. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty um, surface level basis of financial information that has to be shared. Okay. Now, do you want to then compare that to the consumer proposal and the documents there? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to move on to the comparison between the two? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting with the consumer proposal is that the document are almost always the same. Okay. So you still do a statement of affairs with both. But the big difference with a consumer proposal is we're making an offer and the offer has to be either accepted or rejected. So there's two extra documents that come into the consumer proposal and they're essentially called a consumer proposal versus bankruptcy overview. Okay. So there's a document here. It's got, and I wish people could see in Radioland, but <laughs> it's basically a bar chart with two bars. And I love this document because it makes it so clear why a consumer proposal is in everyone's best interest because the bankruptcy bar is usually at zero. Because most of the time in a bankruptcy, after all is said and done, no assets would be seized. The person will just pay the cost of the bankruptcy and they'll move on. The proposal bar shows, you know what, you could take zero or house 20% or 30% of the debt or something like that. It's as simple as do you want something or do you want nothing? And I think this document that we're describing here is what helps proposals get accepted. It's a very stark reminder that bankruptcy is not a creditor option. A creditor cannot reject you from going into bankruptcy. And if the law says that you go into bankruptcy and they have to write off all of the debt, well, too bad, so sad. A proposal is a creditor option. They have the option to say, yes, I will agree to compromise the debt. Yes, I want more than I would get in a bankruptcy. And that's why the documents show those two options together. Yeah, it's really different for the creditor mm-hmm. between the two. And yeah. it makes sense. If you're the creditor, you want to go with a consumer proposal because you're going to get something. In almost every case, it's almost 99% of the proposals that we file, the creditors do accept them. It's not 100% because sometimes there has been some untoward conduct. You know, the creditors know they'll do worse in a bankruptcy. But they also know that they, you know, didn't enjoy doing business with the person, so to speak. So sometimes it's cut off the nose to spite the face and creditors do it with eyes wide open. Yeah. But that's very much the small percentage. Usually it's, let's be unemotional. You may have a connection to the Royal Bank for 20 or 30 years and feel very connected. They're looking at you as dollars and cents and something is better than nothing. Typically, they will accept a proposal. Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned the Royal Bank because it, it is your credit card, uh, your your credit card creditors. It's, it's your credit card people. They get something instead of nothing. Exactly. And that can make a difference at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. 
Yeah. 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 One other document to talk about too. So we talked about the statement of affairs. So you disclose your assets, your liabilities, and some basic personal information. The other really core document is a monthly budget. So it's called a monthly statement of income and expenses. And it really goes into detail about who lives in the household, you know, whether it's yourself or other members of the family unit, what's their income from all sources. And then where does the household spend that money on a monthly basis? And what's really important here too, especially in a proposal, is we have to show if we're doing a consumer proposal, how is it going to be afforded? Yes. Right? Is the person going to be able to afford their rent, afford groceries, afford you know car maintenance and things like that? Because the last thing that we want to do is give them another payment that they're going to fail in six or eight months and be more depressed about and you know feel like there's no no other options. Right. So you got to make sure a proposal is going to be well structured. It can fit within the budget. Excellent. And it's really important. The budget is part of that process uh, in terms of going forward too, setting mm-hmm. something up that makes sense. And with Sands and Associates, you get that opportunity to uh, there's counseling. There's counseling. Mm-hmm attached to it and you get to figure out where you might have misstepped along the way and what got you into that pickle in the first place you get to set it up differently so you don't step there. Yeah, you've got two financial counseling sessions in both bankruptcy and a proposal. And Elaine, almost every client that I speak with, it really surprises me and it gratifies me how much value they get out of the counseling. Yeah. So just the chance to spend an hour talking about budgeting, about goal setting, about looking at compound interest, how it can work for you instead of against you when you're paying it on your debts versus earning it on your investments. Yeah. So yeah, the counseling can you know can be life-changing as with the whole process, but you got to invest and you got to you got to buy in along the way. And we know historically whether whether it be through education or just being an adult in the world, we get very little of that information unless mm-hmm. you really seek it out. Yeah. We, we don't know how a budget can work or why it works or even how to set one up. Mm-hmm. And that's important information that you guys give. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so if any of this information is resonating with you, is there anything else you wanted to finish with before we wrap it up? I think just one last thing. If you are a creditor and you're owed money, I alluded to this early, but you've got to respond. There's going to be a form called a proof of claim form. If someone goes into bankruptcy and you're owed money, complete the proof of claim form. That's the only way the trustee will know to keep in touch with you and pay you some money if there is some money to be distributed. Excellent. So again, if something is ringing bells in your brain as you're listening to this and you want to take some action, give Sands and Associates a call. They've got a one great uh, 1-800 number. It's 661-3030, 1-800-661-3030. You get that first free consultation uh, and, and you figure out whether this is going to work for you or how it's going to work for you, as well as to find an office near you. And they're located literally all over British Columbia, which is a big bonus. And I know, and that includes Vancouver Island as well as the lower mainland. Uh, so dollars and cents, Blair Manton, thank you so much for all this good information. Thank you. From Sands & Associates. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com. In this segment, we're talking about what happens when you don't have any income. You're in debt, you don't have any income or other resources to help pay your debts. That is How big a segment of the, of the folks in debt does that take up? Well, you'd be surprised. So it's, you know, the old adage, you can't get blood from a stone. It's absolutely true. You know, if you've got 
someone telling you you owe money and you know, honest to goodness, there's no way you can pay that money. You know, many people don't know what the next step is from there. You know, can I be thrown in jail? Am I going to be in the newspaper as a deadbeat? Is someone going to come and take all of my assets? So, you know, we won't say it's a huge segment of the people that come to see us, but definitely a lot of senior citizens, um, you know, this is their situation. They have very few assets, they've got some debt, and they just don't know what the risks are, what they have to be worried about or not worried about. And a really small income or a very limited income each month to pay for whatever, and then the debt on top of that. Yeah, and it's an income, Elaine, that generally isn't going to increase very much. Right. Maybe you're going to get cost of living, you know, a couple percent, but, you know, costs go up every year in the lower mainland. Your accommodations probably go up by more than that. Your food goes up by more than that. So quite often seniors are in a situation where the real income, it's maybe it's being flat or it's even declining a little bit each month. Yeah. Very, very true. So, what happens in this in this case? You can't uh, you can't take more money from them. But but how do you give this person a hand? Yeah. So part of it is everyone that comes in, we spend. A- about an hour, you know, 45 minutes to an hour, we do a complete consultation. So we do a review of their entire situation and we understand exactly what is it that they're facing. Now, the person that we're talking about today is what's called creditor proof or judgment proof. And these may be terms that listeners have heard before. And what it means is that even if the person was sued, so even if the creditors decided, you know, get a lawyer, take the person to court, they would get a judgment, but they still couldn't collect on it because the person has nothing. Okay. okay? So creditor proof means that there's essentially either no income or there's minimal income, something like, you know, a pension, um, you know, a retirement benefit or something like that that meets the person's basic needs, but not very much more than that. And that they've got very few assets. Now, I don't mean they don't have, you know, chair to sit on. The province of BC says no matter what, you're entitled to some very basic levels of assets that every human being is entitled to. Things like your household furniture can never be taken from you. Your clothing obviously can never be taken from you. Even a vehicle worth up to $5,000 can never be taken from you. So we go through and review, you know, essentially the assets or the the lack of assets, and we come to a picture of whether the person is creditor-proof or judgment-proof or not. Okay. So that would also include, because one thing we didn't mention is if I'm living in, let's say I'm in that category and I'm living in an apartment, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's a fixed rent. uh, Again, that's something that doesn't get... Uh, anything attached to it. The debtors, the debt can't get attached to that. I've got to be able to live somewhere, right? I mean, that's that's, right. that's the piece that I think is really important too, that the province protects mm-hmm. us from from being thrown out on the street. Oh yeah, you've got, you've got to pay your rent each, each month, right? But yeah, there's definitely good protections for, for tenants. Now, what I find too is sometimes people are saying there's just not enough to go around because they're trying to pay their rent and they're also trying to make a bunch of payments on these debts right. where they're actually judgment-proof. They're actually the person is creditor-proof. And when I explain to them that actually if you stop paying on these debts, here's what's likely to happen. We're going to go through all of it today, Elaine, so don't, don't worry, it's nothing too, too bad here. Yeah. You know, if you stop paying on these debts, suddenly you're able to live again. You can afford your rent without worrying about it. You can afford to buy groceries instead of the food bank. But if you, if you keep paying all the interest and all these debts because you don't think there's another way out, you, again, you put yourself further into hardship quite often. And that's the difference between Sands & Associates and let's say Credit Counselor mm-hmm. or the other organizations we've talked about in the past. You guys can actually do something about it. You can say, no, you are protected. This and mm-hmm. this and this can't be touched. Uh, they, the creditors, can either walk away if if they come, if you fall into this category of judgment proof um, and and you're back on track 
Yeah, what I'm, what I'm most proud of as part of Sands and Associates is we're beholden to nobody. We're right. independent. We're not funded by creditors. So if you walk into the Credit Counseling Society, for example, a large proportion of their funding comes from creditors. You can bet that their advice is going to be something that's going to result in you paying back that debt to the best of your ability. We're beholden to nobody. I'm an independent officer of the court. My objective is to give you the information so that you can make the decisions. If you decide you want to you know, do whatever you can to pay back the debt, that's great. But I want you to be very clear that if you can't pay it back, here's what's likely to happen. And, l- and let's go through that a bit today, Elaine. Sure, let's do that then. Yeah. So if you owe somebody money in the province of BC and you don't pay them, they can do a few things to you. Okay, They can call you. They can do these harassing and intimidating phone calls. Um, you know, they're not supposed to threaten you, but quite often they do. And they can start at, you know, seven in the morning until about nine at night. Okay. So usually it's those calls that tend to really get people anxious, get them running through the door to see us. Now, most people won't tell you this, most professionals you go to see, but if you come to Sands and Associates, we'll explain to you exactly how BC law protects you and gives you the opportunity to just remove your consent for collection calls. It's literally that simple. Very, very, and that's got to be so reassuring to anyone yeah. who's listening who falls into that category because it's it's just an awful situation to be yeah. in, right? That hopelessness and feeling like there's no help out there. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there is. So you're getting called, you know, six times a day. We'll sit down with you. We'll show you. Here's the letter you have to send to your creditors. You send them this letter. You provide them with your address. From there on in, all you're going to get is letters, no further calls, and that's what BC law requires. It's a lot easier to deal with the letter where there's going to be no threats because they have to write everything down as opposed to coming over the phone for you. So I tell people, you know, get the letters, call me if the letters bother you. But at the end of the day, that's usually where it stops. If you send a letter saying, I don't consent to any more phone calls, usually that's the end of the story for most people who are judgment proof. Okay. Um, can we, uh, I wanted to ask you about, so how do you, how do you not get into that situation in the first place? Like what are the things that we can do now to protect ourselves from this happening, that from being vulnerable to those creditors? Well, I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to having a regular budget each month, you know, really trying not to overextend yourself. You know, in, in many cases, you know, I see someone after a the music has stopped, so to speak, you know, they're already in debt. And, you know, quite often, you know, someone got sick or a relationship broke down or, or something else like that. So, you know, sometimes there's nothing you can do to guard against it. But definitely, the more you can do to have a regular budget, um, to have an emergency fund, each of those things are definitely going to help you. I like, I like some of these things, too, that we've talked about in the past about looking after and protecting your, your assets or your bank account or your checking account, about really protecting that and not giving anyone else access to that. Yeah, so one thing that we say here, you know, one thing is, is to make sure no one else physically has access to, you know, someone that you know, but it's also if you're banking somewhere where you owe money, you're giving that person you owe money to access to your bank account implicitly. So if you're going to RBC with your visa and RBC is also your daily banking account, you have made it too easy for RBC to get paid. Because what happens is if you can't pay that bank account, sorry, that visa card, they're going to go and seize your bank account. And they have access to that. And they have access to it. because You probably signed that paper allowing that too, right, at some point. So if someone takes nothing else away from this segment other than you can stop collection calls, the other thing is never bank where you owe money. Because if you bank at any other institution, for them to force you to pay to seize anything from your account, they have to go through, hire a lawyer, take you to court. It's not a criminal matter. You'll never be thrown in jail. Um, But at the end of the day, they have to go through and spend thousands of dollars to collect from you if you've changed your bank to somewhere else. Now that's so interesting because the banks and all the, you know, credit, uh, um, uh, 
credit unions even will want you to take one of their credit cards. Of course. I've and I, it, I'm getting a little aha here. Mm-hmm. I had never thought about that before, but I get yeah. asked about that all the time at my credit union. Oh, do you want to take out another Visa card? Mm-hmm. It protects the bank. They have what's called the right of offset. They can offset a debt against an asset under their own umbrella. They can't do that if it's a different bank. So your bank wants you all under one roof for their benefit. For wow. your benefit, keep your debts and your banking separate. And it's pretty and it's pretty easy to do these days, right? Yeah. We have lots of options. Yeah, any chartered bank in Canada, they have to open an account for you. It's not a question of, hey, they'll run a credit check and they'll say, no, we won't open an account. They absolutely have to. That's Canadian law. Have to do it. Oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting too. Uh, anything else you want to add before we close out this segment for those, uh, for those folks that have lo- low, low, low incomes? Yeah, I would encourage them to just even have a conversation. If you phone us up, it's free advice. I don't have any problem giving insight if someone's facing and they think they're judgment-proof, but they're not quite sure. We can ask a number of questions. We can give you some good advice, send you to the right resources. Even if we can't help, we'll be a very good first step. That's great. Thank you, Blair. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. If you want to get a fresh start, 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.